fight the foe, foe, foe. Scoring touchdowns for the blue on blue. The Argos will win for you. Full of fight and courage, you can't stop. They pile up the points until they reach the top. Pull together till the gray cups pop. Go Argos, go, go, go. everybody welcome to episode seven of the argo bounce live audio show with my co-host nick small and yours truly chris Pome here on this wednesday august 30th 2023 and again um just want to say thank you to everybody for tuning in live on facebook linkedin youtube twitch and twitter or known as X now, and also our audio platforms, and the Argo Bounce Live audio show featuring uh, the CFL's Toronto Argonauts, 18-time Grey Cup champions, is on WQEE 99.1 FM in Georgia. And I'm looking forward to episodes 7 tonight as Nick and I break down the Argonauts' 39-31 win over Calgary on Friday night at uh, BMO Field on the CNE game. And we'll get a preview of the Argos' upcoming QEW uh, rivalry game with the Hamilton Tiger Cats this Monday at 3.30 at Tim Hortons Field. And I'm going to bring on my uh, co-host of the Argo Bounce live audio show, Nick Small. Good evening, Nick. How you doing, buddy? Doing good, Chris. A huge win at the CNE against Calgary. It was definitely not the way I expected them to win. Um, but I am glad that uh, we successfully prognosticated that win. It it's, gives them a huge advantage uh, as they continue this 10-game uh, consecutive games played streak now that they've used up their last bye week. It's a huge opportunity, and uh, they we get to see them continue rolling, hopefully, to Labor Day game in Hamilton this week. So. Absolutely. It wasn't a pretty win on Friday night, but they got the job done, uh, 39-31. I knew the Argos mm-hmm. were capable of putting up points, especially after their loss to Calgary a few weeks ago in Calgary, but I didn't see the Stampeders scoring 31 points. But one thing, Nick, I wanted to say, um, even when the Argos have their struggles or Chad Kelly has an interception or two, I like the fact they know how to bounce back from adversity, and I think it's good for this team to have some adversity because you're going to face it in the playoffs. Thoughts? Yeah, given the way that the Stampeders have played uh, uh, their last several games, you definitely didn't expect Jack Mayer to go out and throw for 400 yards and four touchdowns. Um, a lot of that, I think, got contributed to just some really weak defensive back play, and it was a weird game because you don't normally see that from our defensive backs. And um, a lot of it was due to injury, which we'll get to later. Um, I'm sure. But yeah, there was, there was a lot of breakdowns and whether it was by communication or by play design, or if it was kind of part of the strategy thinking, Oh, Jake Mayer doesn't throw deep very often. So let's just focus on shutting down the short yardage passes, whatever it was, it, it, it almost didn't work out for Toronto. And, Fortunately, given that how many times the defense has kept the team in games, slow scoring games, it was kind of nice to see a change where the offense was able to really rally and put together some really nice big deep passes of their own to be able to to bail the defense out in exchange. Hey, before we go further, I just wanted to say uh, 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 rest in peace, uh, deepest sympathies to the Stubler family. I guess Rich Stubler, he uh, passed away recently at 74, and he was involved with the Canadian Football League for 
four decades, uh, 83 to 89 with Hamilton, 90 with Toronto, and then he came back to the Argos in 03 to 2007, and then came back to the Argos in 08. 2016 and 221 uh one of the best defensive coordinators in the cfl history and uh, i just wanted to mention uh deep the sympathies and condolences to the stubler family and the uh, toronto argonauts yeah rich uh rich stubler has such a tremendous history with the cfl and, and has left such a big legacy and i i don't think people realize how much he's done for so many players across this league and it's Definitely a, a huge loss, um, along with some of our other losses that we've had over the last um, last couple of weeks. It's it's been a tough go for Argos fans, and um, yeah, it's it's it's. I mean, it's a part of life, but it's also really tough for someone that has been around for so long and has seemingly always been there. Um, yeah, it's it's a huge blow to the league. He's got five Grey Cup championships to his name, and and easily goes among the legends of Canadian football. Um, so yeah, my condolences go out as well to the family of Rich Stubler, and all I can say as an Argos fan is thank you for all your years of service and hard work and getting this team to championship games. Now, Nick, obviously I wasn't at the game, and you were. Did they do a little piece for him there at the game? Um, no, I think they, cause they didn't announce his passing until a, it was after the game. It was, okay. um, okay. he passed away on Sunday and the game was okay. on Friday. So we okay. didn't know about it when it happened. Okay. I imagine the next home game, they'll have something for him because like I said, four mm -hmm. decades in the CFL and, and, and number of stints with the Toronto Argonauts and one, it considered one of the best defensive coordinators and also a player's coach as well. So. Uh, I just wanted to bring that up. And also, before we get back to the Argos, I just wanted to say I'm so happy for the Edmonton Elks. I never thought I'd say this because they used to dominate the league in the 70s and 80s and 90s, but I'm so happy they got that 22-game losing streak off their backs at Commonwealth Stadium. Another good win, two in a row. They're actually in the playoff picture now, and uh, I'm so happy for Chris Jones and the Elks. And Nick, quick thoughts on the Elks before we get back to the Argos. Yeah, it was... Uh... Yeah, it was uh, big for Edmonton to finally break that curse and to finally get that win. It was, uh, it, yeah, you, you, every, all the other fans were like, yeah, we want to see Edmonton get that home win, but not against our guy uh, or our team. But, and yeah, unfortunately, Ottawa is the team that it ended up happening to. And, uh, but it was, it, it, you know what it really does is it just draws more questions at Edmonton because they Jones refused to start uh, Trey Ford for so long, but clearly he's the best quarterback on the team. So it's and I think he could translate the same thing to uh, Jacksonville right now with uh, Nathan Rourke being being uh, dropped down the. Oh to, yeah. Uh, through he cleared waivers, fortunately, but yeah, it's it's just such a weird thing. I I, I will I will die on the hill if they got something against Canadians, man. But uh, nobody for, picked up Rock on waivers. Uh, nobody picked him up, surprisingly. Wow. So he did go down wow. to uh, practice roster, I guess, in uh, in Jacksonville. So I'm I'm shocked. I really thought somebody would have picked him up because to me, there's no reason why he couldn't be at least a number two quarterback in the NFL. He can yeah, play. I guess. I guess nobody likes to think they're desperate enough to take the risk. I don't know. I don't, I understand why he went down there, but you know what? I, I I still think it would have been better for him to play one more year here and dominate the the league. But I don't know. Hey, he had he made he made a decision, and uh, I I do hope he gets his opportunity in the National Football League. I, I, as much as I want him to come back to the CFL, I I'm rooting for him because he's Canadian and also he played in the CFL and. Uh, best of wishes with him with the Jaguars and Doug Peterson, who was a backup quarterback is now a head coach. Um, I, I'm hoping they give him an opportunity and eventually he can be the number two. Obviously Trevor Lawrence is submitted as the number one, but hopefully eventually Rourke will work his way up to number two then. Yeah. I mean, we've seen it um, in other in the CFL this year with, with all the injuries to starting quarterbacks. Um, unfortunately, the way the game is, often it, it comes from the starters and the backups getting injured for you to get your get your opportunity. And so it just makes it that much more important that you take big advantage of it when you've got the chance, especially at the quarterback position. 
Absolutely. And uh, now to get back to the Argos, uh, Nick, first question is what were your thoughts on the Argos win over Calgary Stampeders? And what was it like at CNE night at BMO Field? Yeah, well, for in terms of the game itself, it was a it was successful prediction. We picked the Argonauts to win, and um, with the revenge game sort of meant motivation, getting them uh, above, and it did work out. But it definitely was not the way I think anybody expected. I think, well, like I said, I thought it was going to be either a, a complete blowout for the Argonauts or the other way around they get completely shut down i don't think anybody thought calgary was going to put up the amount of points they did um as for the second part the atmosphere the it was amazing like they were just shy of eighteen thousand. i think it was 17907 if i remember yeah. yeah um so the attendance was the attendance was great and it was definitely one of the it looked that way both on i think on tv aside from if it panned up to the east end zone which is or the east sideline which is always closed but um you look everywhere else in the field and there was not very many empty seats left and even in the north end zone they had opened that up to extra seating and that was probably a good three to four thousand people there as well um so it it really helped the look on tv and it made the atmosphere really great because it was combined with all the cne stuff in the background you had so many onlookers from outside looking in on that game, wondering what was going on, hearing the cheers. When the drones flew overhead, that um, said, like, let's go. It, it was let's go to the X was the second part of the drone thing. But when everybody saw let's go in dark blue, everybody thought it was for the Argos. So all the fans burst out in cheers and support. It was just really fantastic. Do you think that extra stands was just open for the CNE game, or do you think that they're going to try to do that the rest of the home season? Um, well, those stands themselves have been there for for every Argonauts game, I think, this year. In terms of keeping it open, I'm hoping that I think it's going to be kind of like a floodgate situation where if they think so many, they've sold so many seats in the rest of the stadium, they'll open it up. I think it's a good thing because as we've seen in the south end zone and the fan zone area, the most energy is concentrated in those end zones and kind of like in basketball when guys are doing their free throws and everybody's clapping like the, the boomers and, and making loud noise to distract them. You see the same thing in the CFL when uh, the opposing kickers coming in, trying to make a clutch 50 yard field goal into the wind to, to try to make something happen. You want to, you want to be that distraction. And when you're kicking on that North side, although more often than not, you're kicking in the wind that way, you've got the one security guard standing there in, in blue or yellow to make sure that nobody goes up there. It's, it's, it's a lot different than when you've got, a thousand screaming fans in the end zone. So I hope they keep it open because it, it, it provides more opportunities to offer budget tickets to, to families or people of lower income who might not have the kind of funds to be able to go to so many more games, like for, especially compared to like the Leafs or the Raptors or the Jays or whoever. So to have that sort of budget option available is I think a good thing because revenue is revenue, regardless of whether it's $20 or $200 a seat. Um, I, I think it would be a good move. So I'm hoping we'll see it continuing on into the future. Nick, uh, I did see some video footage of fans getting ejected from the game. I understand the CFLs put micro microchips in the football or whatever, but it doesn't give the Argonauts a good look when their fans are getting ejected for it. If the, if they're that concerned about the footballs going in the stands because of the, the technology they put into the football, they should be putting up nets on both sides of the goalposts. Yeah, well, the, pro the, the Go problem ahead. is it's it's a tough pill to swallow because for so long we've seen that our not fans have been able to keep the balls. And I we spoke to Boris Beattie at the very beginning of the year about it. Mm -hmm. and we were the only team in the league that did that. We would let fans keep the footballs that were kicked on yeah. the field goals and extra points. And and it, it was inherently, fans don't know this, but it's inherently a big disadvantage because uh, those balls ha for kicking have to get worked in a separate way than you would yeah. for any other foot football so you're it's it's costing the team having to work in those footballs to be okay. to be game day 
prepared and it is it is an inherent disadvantage and it is a tough pill to swallow that now that technology's in and we're not it's not a patent thing like it's clearly not that fans are wanting to keep the balls because they want to get the technology out of it or anything really it's it's it it just has to do with that they want that costs money and it makes the balls more expensive to produce so they can't afford continuing to give them away anymore and and I mean, on the, on the flip side of that, I think you can then get in the argument. Well, um, as we've seen, Genius Sports hasn't really been up to task over these this year so far at making the stats accurate. And how is having this chip in the ball going to prove it when they can't even get right how many rushing yards a running back has to the nearest to the nearest ten yards? Let alone saying that or penalty yards where they've said a guy has had. A team has had a, a thousand and eleven hundred yards in penalties or something stupid like that. So, it's I'm I'm hoping that they'll be able to to use then that chip data and provide cool things like the Google Statcast for uh, baseball being able to say like, oh look, Boris Beatty on average kicks the ball at this speed off the tee, and if you or like kicking with an in into or with the wind in Toronto, for instance, it adds this speed at. 18 kilometers an hour on average and the ball travels 20 yards further this way versus that way like things like that would be a huge advantage and a way to sort of flaunt that data but so far we have seen absolutely none of it and that's where we're hoping i think as fans to see some tangible results otherwise it's kind of just a, a bum waste of money one thing nick i understand why they're doing it but they should have they should have done this at the start of the season. To wait to doing it at the CNE game is a bad look. And also, I think how they can solve this problem is they should have done it at the beginning of the season, obviously. But they mm. also should put up nets. And that would have solved the problem as well. So I, I just, some of these fans that get kicked out, I don't know if they're season ticket holders or this is their first time going to games, but it's not going to give them a good impression. And I'm not blaming the team for this, but the league really should have uh, had the Argonauts enforce this at the beginning of the season instead of waiting to the, the C&E game, which is their biggest draw of the season, in my opinion. Yeah, well, I think the nature of BMO Field is different than a lot of stadiums because if you kind of look around the league, um, like tr uh, Toronto used to have the netting down at the Sky Dome, but when you look at most of the other stadiums that teams play at that are open, they don't usually have netting either. And a lot of those end zone seats are kind of open areas rather than, and they're further back from the end zones. Whereas at BMO field, especially they're right up close to the action. And it's one of the advantages that BMO field has among the rest of the league that you've got such a great vantage point, no matter where you sit, but yeah, it does. It does bring problems like this where you've got um, it's it's too close. And especially with someone like Beatty, who will always bring the driver out, whether it's a, a, an extra point chip shot or a, or a 30 yarder versus a 60 yarder. It doesn't matter. He'll always go all out on every kick. So um, and you can't tell a kicker, hey, just change the way you kick the ball. You wouldn't you wouldn't tell Dustin Johnson or Tiger Woods or whoever to change their swing. So um it's it's yeah i i i don't i can't say about the, the individuals getting ejected whether or not it was yeah new or 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 experienced people or whether they put the value in the football over staying at the game or whatnot that that i can't say but um yeah i think from the side of the implementation of it it, it didn't help that they chose the cne game to to roll it out at least for the Argonauts and to do it yes. the way it was. That's my point. That's impression. my point. Yes. Yeah. It just, it point. just doesn't. And what I think work. they should do for the rest of the year. Yes. It doesn't give me a look. What I would do if I was in the Argos promotions department, just for the rest of the year, I'm not saying next year, just say anyone catches a football in exchange for the football, we're going to give you an Argo, uh, Argos t-shirt or something like that and how much of the t-shirt costs not that much so to me I think for the rest of the year if fans get footballs if they don't want to put the netting up just uh, say hey if you give us the football back we'll give you an Argo t-shirt just for just good PR that's all yeah I don't know I might need to be a bit more than a t-shirt uh, compared to a multi-hundred okay. dollar 
football. Okay. Okay. But you know what I mean? Just some yeah. kind of Argyle swag just for the rest of this year. And then next year they can figure it out. But it's just, yeah, it's just the PR look. But I don't want to spend the whole time uh, talking about that. But it's just, yeah. But other than that, I think it looked good on TV. It looked like a good crowd. The weather was good. Now, Nick, I got to ask you this. Did it, some people leave at halftime to go to the CNE? Because I've been hearing that too. A lot of fans were leaving at halftime to go to the Canadian National Exhibition. With the, with a game like that, absolutely yeah. not. The stadium was full from beginning to end, and I don't know who said that, but they were completely wrong, or they did not. They were not at the game, or they were not watching because the game the game was close at halftime. Like this game yes. was tight from beginning to end. It wasn't like yeah. some of these, like the last four games Calgary has played. I think I probably fell asleep around halftime. Like they've been absolute snooze fests of games, and probably some of the worst games I've seen the Stampeders play ever. This were some this was one of the most exciting games probably since uh, the week before against Ottawa. <laughs> but uh yeah, the last two games that the Argos have played now at home have been just quite special and and exciting and just there was so much crowd engagement, there was so much noise, there was so much back and forth play. It's it was absolutely entertaining to watch from beginning to finish. And if people did leave halfway through the game, then they probably just didn't find the taste to CFL football because I, I don't know how you could leave in a game at this, which really showcased, I think, the league at its high points when it's, when it's a high-scoring offensive matchup, lots of deep passes, guys finding openings and coverage. You had, like, the Javon Leak return at the end. You had the cannon, fireworks. It was, it was just a, an awesome Cardinal atmosphere in the background to it all. And, yeah, I... I, I didn't see that impression given the crowd that was there. It was it was pretty packed for the entirety of the game. All right. Uh, the Argos did get off to a good start, 14 nothing, and then they had their law, and then they managed to get it back before the end of the first half. But what did you like about the Argos overall in the first half of this game, and what did you think of their adjustments in the second half against Calgary? Yeah, so um, well, in the first half i actually thought they were kind of looking rough at the beginning the way i break down most games at um bemo field is a lot of it has to do with the wind and who has the advantage of the wind what quarter so the argos had the wind at the beginning of the game um with the ball and uh calgary would then get it in the second half but they would have the wind in the third quarter and facing the wind in the fourth so what really I break down a B-Mill field game is that when you have the wind, you really want to try to take advantage of that quarter and try to, I usually say at least two scoring plays, um, full touchdowns. If you can do that with the wind, force your opponents to less than seven. Um, ideally, forcing them to no more than a field goal is great, but there can be an odd touchdown or two. And then if if you can march down the field and put up at least one touchdown into the wind to counter what will probably be your offensive drives for your opponents, that usually works out. And what was weird in this game was Toronto was into that game plan. They they were up 14-0 after a bit of a shaky start. You saw that march down the field. Chad Kelly threw the interception on what probably should have been at least a field goal, but most likely yeah. a touchdown otherwise. Um, yeah. Ball just... I think a little too hard thrown and a little Throw too it. high for it early. happens. It happens. Yeah. But um, yeah, fortunately they were able to still rally back, get some points on the board. And then, but yeah, what, once the tables flipped in the, in the second half or sorry, second quarter, what really changed was I think um, Mayor was really able to just find those busts in coverage and uh, sail an e ball out deep. It wasn't like it was a fantastic throw that the receiver had to make a big play to catch. Like they were, they were usually really wide open. And as long as the ball was generally close to the guy, he was able to catch it, no issue. Um, but then, of course, Chad was able to sort of counter that himself, which was the really big high point of the Argos offense uh, in that game. Because um, when Mayer was doing his deep throws in busted coverage, it was all uh, it was all with the wind. But the Chad Kelly uh, won the coaxy, I think, on the. I think it was to Coxie. That was on the flea flicker. That was a bust as well, but that was into the wind. And um, I might have think the other deep pass touchdown, but the one deep pass touchdown I was thinking of was the one that was caught um, by Coxie at, uh, I think it was around the 30-yard line. And 
it was into the wind, but it almost looked like it was going to be overthrown, and Coxie really had to rush out and stretch to make it. And fortunately, that little oomph uh, got it. And as a receive, former receiver, I can tell you that that was just so much fun of a play to pull off and so rewarding when you're able to just get that extra stretch out and make such a spectacular catch. So it was really great just how fired up the team was and determined even at halftime that they thought they should have been up by more and um, they were they were able to carry that throughout the rest of the game as as fire to to keep playing well offensively which is we've seen sometimes has been a struggle at at times yeah we'll get on to Javon leak in a few minutes but um, the next question I wanted to ask you Nick Overall assessment on the play of the Argos defense and their secondary against Calgary. I found in the second half, especially the fourth quarter, I thought the defense tightened up a little bit, and I thought the front four uh, got some pressure on Jake Mayer, uh, especially Dwayne Hendricks, and I wanted to get your thoughts. Yeah, the front four was really solid throughout this game. Um, They were keeping pressure on Jake Mayer throughout it, and earlier in the game there was – sometimes where he may have slipped away a bit, but um, there, there were some other times in the game, especially in the second half where they were really able to, um, to shut him down. And there were some really big sacks and, and fortunately no flags were called for, uh, for uh, hitting him too close to the head or up high on the shoulder. So I'm glad that they were able to, to rectify that little struggle. Um, yeah, the big, the big story of it, I think the breakdown of the defensive backs and, um, early in the game, a lot of it was just, I think, bust in coverage. And when you look at the scheming in their sort of cover three, cover fours, um, it, it seemed like that just guys weren't on the same page. And um, the moment where it really kind of took effect was when Deshaun Amos went down. Uh, did you want to talk about that? Can I talk? Yes, about yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Deshaun Amos on a play that was, I think, around the 10 yard line, maybe a little. Um, before that, um, I think he just collided with someone on a, at a weird angle, diving in to make a tackle, and he must have gotten stepped on or rolled on right in the the ankle port. And the way he reacted, like you knew it was bad because I I I could see him where I was, and he he was flailing and screaming and threw his helmet off, and you know the things you don't want, you never want to see with a player, and and even because Amos had played for both uh, Cal. Oh, no, you had players and coaching staff on both teams go up to him and and you as everybody's over there you taking a knee you know it's bad the cart came over he did come back later to to watch and had the had the the soft cast and the like the the roller scooter thing to put your knee on when you've got a got a cast on so i'm I, I'm speculating but it's probably a fracture so that's probably eight weeks without him and um Speaking again from someone who's broken uh, a body part playing football, eight weeks plus probably two weeks of rehab time. Like he might be ready just barely before the playoffs uh, if we're lucky, um, but we'll see. Um, so that that's really through one one wrench in because then uh, Josh Haggerty had to come in late much this season his own injuries. I think he played at the very beginning of the year and then uh, only got back I think last week or the week before. And then he goes down later due to injury. And I think his was a broke either. I don't want to say broken arm, but he did have his arm later on the sidelines in a soft splint as well. Like um, not a cast, but splinted. So it might've been a sprain or something, but he got injured too. So now the late in the game, what I think almost helped them tighten up was that they were able to, because of the offensive positions they were in, they, and leading through most of that second half, they were able to, um, they moved um, Pickett as sort of that halfback spot, kind of filling in where they're missing, uh, missing a DB. Um, they had Edward in, and and they ran a really simple cover three, having all their linebackers in. So, so um, yeah, you had just this really weird scenario that you wouldn't normally see with four four linebackers in for Toronto, and it. Fortunately, it worked out. Just Calgary didn't have the time to take advantage of of speed breaks, and and I think it also fits to the Argos strategy because Mayer's been so often throwing shorter passes under pressure in their in their system, but um, he's never been a guy to really take advantage of 
deep open plays or even throw one-on-one he'll he only threw those deep passes on guys who were unbelievably wide open and the Argos never really gave that up once they held their held that lead late in the game any other injuries from that game and uh I'm just wondering what the deal with Maurice Cornell is nobody's saying a word I I originally thought he was going to be back in July and now it's going on September but uh just thoughts on how big of a loss that is for the Argonauts team yeah, I mean, it, Amos is by far one of the biggest losses for this team because he's he was by far their number one safety and and has just played fantastic both last year and through this year. Um, and yeah, it, it really definitely puts a question in the safety position. You wonder if because I think it's pretty clear that Amos is going to be out for at least at least a couple months. If I yes, had to guess, I agree with you. It's like and and with Haggerty being hurt and plus being hurt previously. Um, you don't know to what extent his injury is. I, I got to think they might be shopping around before the deadline or potentially picking someone up from one of the NFL cuts. Um, that's an option. And yeah, going to Maurice Cornell, we've seen as guys have gotten injured, other guys have been ready enough to come in. So yeah, well, the, but the problem is Cornell's not really a... a not really a safety either so um it's it's going to be a tough challenge to decide whether they want to play one person out of position or if they want to kind of shuffle everybody over so then like every kind of you've got three guys playing a different position but it's less of an impact as as it would be the 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 skill draw three guys play different spots versus one guy playing a completely new spot um, we'll find out if the way things have gone, I got to think uh, just because of the way he's been Quantes Stiggers is going to be that guy to go now play safety. Cause he's, I think he's played every defensive position now between um, boundary and field halfbacks and corners. Yeah. My only concern with this team going forward, obviously is not the offense, obviously not the special teams. Uh, it's just the defense because they've been giving up 31, 32 points a game. So, um, and now the injuries in the secondary. So we'll see what happens. But uh, yeah, well, you got to stay healthy and uh, we'll cross your fingers. Now, yeah. Nick, I-, I wanted to ask you, what did you like about this game plan better against Calgary the, the second time than the first time? What did you, um, what, what changes did you see from um, uh, Ryan Dinwiddie and the coaching staff? Well, having Chad Kelly play the whole game was definitely a big advantage. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I think by just by having Chad be able to to play that full game, it it enabled having someone who was confident and being able to take risks throwing the ball down the field. I, the the problem I think we saw with um um with that game previously was Calgary played a shut down defense after Chad went out and and the only real drive that Cam Dukes had that was really able to get them within scoring position was that very first drive and um, like I think I said Cam at times has kind of played like Chad Kelly his first year in the league where um, if things aren't going right you kind of tuck it and run and that's where you get someone like Baykill to spy and shut it down so I I think um, uh, offensively it's it's hard to say just because there wasn't a lot of Chad Kelly makes such a big factor defensively I think you know, you kind of see the cons of how they adjust their strategy because in a lot of ways it didn't really work because they were shutting down the shorter plays, which Mayer has kind of always thrown so far this year. But because of focusing so much on shutting down the, the screens and the swings and the, the quick, you left guys wide open. And, and whether some of it, again, with the, with the safety injuries and having new guys coming in and moving around in the middle of the game, there's going to be miscommunications and busts because of that. But when there weren't busts, there wasn't really a whole lot for Mayer to throw to, and we saw that. And And the D-line itself really had to step it up, and they did in this game by keeping pressure and forcing Mayer to throw the ball as quick as possible before he could see those wide-open guys. Yeah, Kelly in this game, 20 out of 31, 361, three touchdowns, two interceptions, and one rushing touchdown. Mm-hmm. But what I like about Chad is it's sort of like McLeod Bethel Thompson, gunslinger mentality. You're going to have your successes. You're going to get your touchdowns and stuff, but you're also going to get your interceptions. But he has that uh, – what I like about him, we mentioned this earlier in the show, is uh, he bounces back quickly from adversity, similar to McLeod Bethel Thompson, who had his share of interceptions in his career, and uh, he overcame them, and that's huge with a quarterback. 
Yeah, Chad's ability to not give up on the long ball is also a huge advantage. Uh, um, yeah, we've seen at times where McLeod sometimes has struggled to get the ball, the deep ball to wide open guys, but so far beating that, so that's a big advantage. Absolutely, and this leads to my next question, Nick. Uh, what are your thoughts on Curly Gittins Jr. and Chad Kelly's connection this season in terms of on-field chemistry and protection between them? Because Gittins, I know, has been hurt for a couple games with uh, rib injury and stuff like that, but he hasn't really had that breakout game this year so far. Yeah, I, I thought this game was actually a, a pretty good one, and you could see that they were trying to get Curly going and some um curly was targeted quite a bit during this game uh and although he only had 50 yards i thought a couple of the plays for him were um the interception play and one unfortunately was targeted to him and thrown maybe a little too high um but you you saw that there were um a lot of times where if if chad kind of didn't have somebody open or was trying to find a guy in one-on-one he had faith in getting it to curly gins and unfortunately there were somewhere it didn't really quite work out but um yeah you can see he's definitely trying to get curly going um and um i in a way it can sometimes be a good thing too even though curly himself isn't putting up big numbers because by targeting him and forcing him into being double coverage it's it's keeping other guys open as we've seen with some of the yardage that uh um that uh uh, uh coaxy and daniels had uh both were only three for four but uh, coaxy got 102 yards and daniels got 77 yards uh respectively with a touchdown each so pick your poison when when you're playing the ergonauts and their yeah, wide that's... receivers yeah, that abundance and in, in versatility and the fact that they don't have a one-star guy um, like Hamilton that they're playing next week, it's it it really helps your strategy because you know somebody's going to be open and you just got to find them, whereas you're not trying to say, oh, let's get the ball to X player because he's their only good receiver. Absolutely. And uh, this leads to my next question. And who would have thought in their 150 year history, there'd be a new record for punt return touchdowns. But in terms of all time Argonaut special teams players and kickoff punt returners, where does Javon Leak rank up there with his team record fourth touchdown uh, return of the season? Yeah, he's he's having himself quite the season, especially with those those touchdowns. Uh, great, just great blocking, too, and some fantastic schemes um the it's yeah i it's hard to tell they thought we had this potential in um um, in leak uh early earlier like in last year but uh for it to really execute and and to perform it's like saying some saying it's gonna happen and kind of not knowing so for it to happen was has been tremendous and in terms of ranking it like i don't know if i if he's gonna be up at at like the, the top top um but i think you gotta be at least in in uh like uh um chad owens conversation i i don't know pinball might still be a bit up there it might it might down but uh yeah the four return touchdowns is, is just one of the crazy stories of this year and especially for the one he got in this last game that that gave them the win basically was was huge I did call it that he was going to get a touchdown in that game. And uh, every time he gets the ball, every time he gets the ball, Nick, he is a threat to score. And that's what I love about the CFL because the NFL has kind of gotten rid of the special teams and the CFL, man, there's so many ways to score. And it's Mm -hmm. just fun watching him with that football. And uh, he can bring it to the house every game. And I wouldn't be shocked. I'm going to say this now. Wouldn't be shocked if he brought it to the house on Monday in Hamilton as well. Yeah. His, his yardage stats kind of are underwhelming on average because there were also two no yards plays And the way that read it is that even though the no yards is a 15 yard penalty, they treat the return in the stats as regardless of it being applied by the penalty, it's just treated as a return for X yards that they would have had otherwise. So if Lee catches the ball and a receipt and a guy's right there and tackles him and he only walks two steps forward. It's, it's only a two yard, uh, it counts as a two yard return, even though it's a 15 yard, no yards on top of that. So although 19 yards, uh, return, he was averaging probably closer to 25 
yeah, the big return TD was huge. My only thing with um, um, the Hamilton uh, uh, return with the game is just um, the, the special teams coordinator, uh, Reinbold for uh, Hamilton, is really good. And they outspoke him in Hamilton. So I'm, I'm a little uh, bullish. Mickey, Mickey Donovan's uh, got his work cut out for him to, to potentially overturn that. That leads to my next question, Nick. Any concerns about the team heading into their Labor Day game against the Cats on the road, who are coming off their best game of the year against the BC Lions, 30-13 to in BC, and they basically did a nice job shutting down that Lions offense? Yeah, I think, I think to me, because they've lost back-to-back to Saskatchewan and now Hamilton, I think more of the problem something with BC rather than with Hamilton that being said, um, I look back at the the last time the uh, Hamilton and Toronto faced off in Hamilton, and um, what I look at what the Argos did really well was that they they shut down um, Butler, which had who had a, a breakout game there against his former team in BC last week. So um, I think if they kind of stick to a similar game plan defensively, the one question, of course, that lies, that's kind of my concern is, is what that safety and sort of halfback like, because you are on one of the best safeties in the league with that, with Deshaun Amos being gone. And then offensively, I'm not quite as worried because I, I think I, I trust in the way that they've ran all year that uh, Chad and Coach Dinwiddie will be able to to fo- find and exploit the openings and, and pick Hamilton apart in that respect. Well, like I said, Hamilton's going to be at home and they're going to be fired up. And this is really a huge game for them too because obviously I think the Argonauts are going to run away with the East at 8-1. and one. But I don't. I think Hamilton and Montreal are going to battle for home field advantage in the East semifinal. Mm-hmm. So this game is important to Toronto, but it's also really important to Hamilton as well because uh, the Alouettes um, got blown out by Winnipeg, and obviously a six and four is still a good record. But uh, they came back to reality against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers as well this past. Yeah, week. Ham- Hamilton. Uh, Hamilton lost that head-to-head matchup in Hamilton against Montreal. Uh, so. That's a bit of a blow against them there too. Um, I think what the big advantage, the big selling point for Toronto is like if you this game in Hamilton on Labor Day. I mean, for one, just what the Labor Day game is about is a huge, a huge big thing. If you win it and you clinch the Harold Ballard Cup, but um, the the potential where after winning this game, going into a home and home against Montreal, if you win one of if you win this game and one of the two games at Montreal, the first of which is in Toronto, if you do that, you've basically clinched already. The reward is that now you kind of get the sort of unofficial bye week where you can rest players that you normally still lock up the position you would have to play um, in a game like in Ottawa in October. Thing. So it's it's a huge advantage for Toronto if they're if they're able to win this game and roll apart roll apart the East and and not have to worry about the later part of the season. That be I think they're gonna treat it just in the same mentality they have and and you're not gonna see any big resting players now or anything. They'll be they'll be in it to win it. But yeah, like you said, Hamilton is has a lot at stake for themselves and. I'm hosting the Grey Cup. Uh, I know it hasn't been the season they've kind of wanted, but um, you know, never say die. Keep that faith alive because if you're all you have to be is in the playoffs, and anything can happen after that, as we saw two years. Absolutely, Nick. And this leads to my next question: uh, What are some keys to an Argonaut win over the Cats on Monday afternoon at Tim Hortons Field? Yeah, I think offensively shut down Butler. Um, defensively. Uh, your safe sorry uh defensively shut down butler and have your safety uh um situation fixed um i think offensively you just keep doing what you're doing and keep stretching the field and uh um so i mean yeah chad had those interceptions but other than that he's been golden all year so um and then special teams i think you you i i don't need the the or anything crazy, but I think you want to see 
Jeff Reinbold that that uh, they 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 ha can have a good special teams game. I think if you um, defeat the guy who's been sort of the guru of uh, special teams playing the CFL for the last two decades, uh, you'll you'll be in a good spot. So just get good field position, special teams wise. Keep doing what you're doing offensively, and hopefully resolve your special your safety issue and shut down Butler for me is a strong start. If they can jump on the cats right away, keep those fans from being noisy and also think turnovers. If they can get some turnovers from the cats and the Argonauts offense gets the ball in great field position with uh, Chad Kelly in that, uh, I really think turnovers could decide this game and strong start. And uh, we'll see. Um, yeah. And for and they and and I agree with your other point. Uh, they got to contain Butler, the running back. Yeah, for for Hamilton, I think the big thing. If if we're talking sort of devil's advocate now, I think the big thing is you can't fall into the trap that everybody seems to do against the Argos defensively. Um, is that you can't throw the ball with the five yard passes that they're giving you because you'll get great yardage. Your, your stats will look good. You'll have three hundred fifty plus yards and zero in or one INT, but you won't score points. You, you gotta have, I think what mayor kind of showed against the Argos defensively is that, um, there are situations deep down the field where you can get the ball lobbed and, um, guys have been afraid to throw it on one-on-one -on -one coverage. And so, um, yeah, we'll see if, if this was just kind of a one-off fluke thing from the Argonaut strategy against Calgary to, to be even more aggressive against the short, it might spark a trend will what happens on labor day all right and we're going to wrap this up got a couple more questions nick uh we're going to do our normal argo three stars of the game mm -hmm. against calgary i'll let you go first this time nick okay um well, I'll give a shout out to Boris Beattie because um, he averaged uh, 53 yards and 75 uh, yards longest on his punts doing double duty because uh, John Haggerty was injured. I think we discussed that a little bit. John did come out to hold his uh, field goals like kind of expected, but um, Haggerty didn't punt. And um, and BD was also one for one on a 39 yard field goal and he made five extra points. So. Um, so give us a shot, uh, continuing doing what he's doing well. Um, other guys, I got a shout out. I, I think I got a shout out the offensive line for the Argonauts. They, they, they've played amazing so far this year. And there was this, uh, line graph I saw recently that showed, um, the sacks of quarterbacks and the Argos are in a completely different tier of everybody else. Like they're um, the Argos line is in one spot and you almost have to double the sacks. The Argos have to get to. Uh... So it's, it's just been insane how well this O line has done and um, protecting Chad Kelly. And they're a big reason for their success. And then um, third star, I, I think I'll give it to Javon Lake. I mean, it's low-hanging fruit, but for him to, to set a record for the Argonauts and to continue just taking advantage of any openings he's got and, and just really good punt return average so far this year, he's he gets my credit as the, uh, the, the third in no of our game. All right. For me, uh, the first star is Chad Kelly. 20 out of 31, 361, three touchdowns, two interceptions, and another rushing touchdown. And it's the fact that when he does make mistakes or makes mistakes or whatever, he doesn't let it bother him or fester away. And like you mentioned before, Nick, uh, some quarterbacks, when they throw interceptions, are hesitant to go deep again in that game. And Kelly has got a, a mental and physical toughness to him. And that, that's how you win championships with mm. quarterbacks as well. So Chad Kelly, number one, as always. Uh, the number two star, I've got Coxie because he had, what, three catches for 102 yards, one touchdown, impact player again. Mm. The third star, I'm going to split it up between a defensive player and a special teams player. The defensive player, Dwayne Henricks. And I'm going to go with uh, – Devon Leak as well because uh, Hendricks I thought was an impact in this game especially in the fourth quarter and Javon Leak like I said uh, his uh, touchdown in the fourth quarter basically sealed the deal for the Argos in this game yeah I was kind of torn if I had to pick a D lineman I was kind of torn between Hendricks and Arimalata really important sacks when they needed to um, so an honorable mention of those guys as well 
Absolutely. And we're going to wrap this up with what we normally do, our CFL Picks of the Week. Nick, uh, did you want to go first or did you want me to go first? Um, sure, I'll go I'll go first this time. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm just bringing up the schedule to make sure I don't forget anybody. BC at Montreal. Um, I'm pick Montreal at home. Um, I I like to see what BC does to bounce back. That could potentially be a toss up to which Jekyll or Hyde we're going to see. Um, Winnipeg and Saskatchewan. Yeah, I I gotta pick Winnipeg. Fortunately, um, Toronto and Hamilton. This is a tricky game because I feel like Toronto is kind of becoming due for a loss and given our, our trend on Labor Day, um, that it that it might not go our way. Um, but I'll I'll stick with the blue because you know eight and one potential chance to go nine and one on better. It might be part of the part of the curse, but uh yeah, I'll take Toronto for that game. Um, I'm going to say it's going to be one of the closer games, though. I think Hamilton will be in it right till the end. So uh, I'm going to say a seven-point margin of victory. Uh, let's go with 33-26. I think that is math. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, and, my uh, Sorry, Edmonton, and Edmonton Calgary. I th- I'm going to pick Edmonton for three in a row. Okay, and uh, we'll go with my picks. I'm going with Montreal, and then I'm going to go with an upset. Saskatchewan's 5-5, five and five, and they're at home, and I think Winnipeg's been on a roll, and I, I really think Saskatchewan is going to sneak out a game. So I'm going to go with Montreal winning. Saskatchewan was the upset of the week. Uh, I'm going to go with the Argos over the Cats by three points. I think 27-24. I think a late board speedy field goal. Maybe even overtime wins it for the Argonauts. And I agree with you on the last game. I, I like the way Edmonton is playing right now. And uh, I'm going to go with them uh, beating the Stampeders in Calgary. I, I, now that they've won two in a row I don't and broken their home curse, I don't think there's anyone in the league except maybe Calgary fans who um, don't want to see playoffs that would be just the wildest story for this year absolutely and and i was gonna say right now ottawa is really struggling under bob dice and uh, i really can't see the red blacks making the playoffs but as for the uh west i i really who would have when's the last time i'm gonna ask you this nick when's the last time you saw a calgary and edmonton calgary's three and eight and edmonton two and nine it's been a long time i mean calgary's been just one of the premier teams in the league since I think they said their last losing season was 2007. So long time since we've seen a Calgary team struggle and yeah, Edmonton as well. Like they've, they've, they've been almost sort of like Toronto where they've had, they'll have one or two or three really rough years, but then they'll, they'll kind of seem to rally and get it together and get a cup kind of down in the dumps again. This Set time was a little bit different just because of the name change and all that, the politics associated with it. But um, it's it is nice to see them start to turn the corner. Um, and yeah, it's one of these weird football things. And I mean, it wasn't that long ago where we were saying, "Can Winnipeg ever win the cup?" And now, um, now they've won uh, two of the last three, and uh, and are kind of back to what everybody seems to think a dynasty but i mean you don't have to look first year they were still a terrible team so it it it's it's the way the cfl is in a nine-team league i think that everybody kind of top and then everybody at some point it it comes crashing down and they've got to pick up the pieces and before we wrap up this show yes or no bc lines are they legitimate or do you think they're a pretender hmm Ugh, that is tough. Um, I think BC is legitimate, but for whatever reason, they're they're not offensive strategies that that got them in the year. The Winnipeg loss I can understand because you know you you don't 
you don't slap Winnipeg in the teeth and then uh, expect to roll over them at in in their house a couple of weeks later. But the the Saskatchewan Hamilton games, it's just the Saskatchewan game reminds in that um, Adams just seemed to throw a lot of interceptions and just not seem to target. Hamilton game they're playing too passive offensively because I think I think only one turnover was in an interception but I think there was a fumble and a turnover on downs like things that didn't really have necessarily to do with Vernon Adams so yeah push it up um, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna speculate because I I still think you go Vernon Adams but yeah you got you got to figure out some of that magic that you had at the beginning of the year because it you doesn't need Nathan Rourke for them to play big games, especially at home and to win, but got to find that magic. All right, Nick. Well, we're going to wrap up our show, but um, I just want to say thank you for coming on episode seven of the Argo bounce live audio show. And uh, we will be doing another show next week. Not sure which day in time yet, but we'll be pre will be breaking down the Argos Tiger cats game and also talking a little CFL and uh, fingers crossed. We'll have a special guest hopefully next week on the Argo bounce live audio show. And I want to say thank you to everyone watching this live streamed on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitch, and Twitter or X, they call it now. And also on uh, Apple, Google podcasts, iHeartRadio, Amazon music, and um, radio public LinkedIn etc and also on WQEE 99.1 FM in Metro Atlanta the home of Southern Talk in sports and uh, that's about it Nick but I'm looking forward to my next guest on my other show tomorrow uh, I'm going to plug that right now before we wrap this up the next live with CDP Sports Talk season 6 episode 37 sponsored by Barry Cullen Chevrolet here in Guelph will be tomorrow Thursday August 31st 2 p.m. Eastern with my guest Luca Moa. He is the uh, board operator and on-site technical producer with TSN 1050 in Toronto. So I hope everybody can tune into that show at two o'clock uh, tomorrow on my regular live with CDP Sports Talk. Quick thoughts, Nick, before we wrap this up. Yep. Thanks, Chris. Uh, thanks everybody, as always, for tuning in and listening to us. Um, I'm still not 100% on whether I'm going to be at at the game um, for Labor Day or not, but I'm hoping to be down there. If you're looking for something to do, I highly recommend making a day trip out of it. Go a little early in the day, head over and see the HMCS Haida, um, Canada's uh, fighting us. Uh, preserved as a museum ship, only about five minutes away from the stadium. So it's it's just behind in the industrial district there, um, on the on the lake. So it's really easy to get to. Um, and if you do that, go see it during the morning. Head over to Lottie or one of the other tailgate areas near the near the stadium, and then you can hang out for a couple hours, chat with other fans, have a couple drinks maybe, and then walk over to the stadium and then. The Labor Day game is a staple here in the CFL and is one of the most exciting. It's it's a lot different when you take it in in person versus just seeing it on TV. Um, anybody who's out in uh, in Edmonton or in Calgary to, for there or uh, in Saskatchewan uh, over the weekend, um, go enjoy those games as well. And I wish you guys the best of luck. And, and yeah, just have a very good time. Don't forget Montreal and time and enjoy your labor day weekend and uh celebrate some cfl football because this along with canada day is probably two of our most important weekends for the league and you can check out the argonauts website at argonauts.ca and nick quickly where can people follow you on social media yep as always uh nick small 38 with underscores on twitter and i think with periods on instagram um yeah give me give me a follow there if you want to chat i'm always happy to hear your thoughts all right and you guys can follow me here on twitter at chris d pome i tweet a lot on twitter slash x and i'm all over the place on social media as well but that's about it i'm gonna wrap up episode seven of the argo bounce uh live audio show i want to say thank you to everyone watching and also listening on our audio platforms and on wqe 99.1 fm i'm looking forward to the games this weekend especially uh, labor day games and uh as we say nick go argos Go Argos. Take care, everyone. 
Good night, Nick. Thank you so much for coming on. You too. See ya, Chris. Good night, everybody. Until they reach the